right. Um, today, we are in part four of our series called Rooted. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And I'm going to put a little bit of recap up on the screen, and I'll walk through that, and then we'll jump into the talk uh, today. And so just to kind of take us back for a minute uh, to part one of, and part two and part three to kind of put our heads back around this series. Part one I called Decision Time and talked about, uh, this is all about learning to get rooted. The first step to get rooted uh, in Christ is to put yourself in the hands of the potter. And we talked about the importance of if you want to get rooted somewhere, you have to first put your hands into the potter. And rootedness ultimately leads to fruitfulness. And that is to say we want you to get rooted in Christ, one, and then talking about get rooted in a church body, I think is also important to produce fruit in your life. So we said roots before fruit. Uh, and then part two, we talked about keep growing as we talked about groups. And it's so awesome. I heard, I think we have like 109 or 110 people signed up for groups or something like that. It's incredible. And so way to go on signing up for groups. If you have not signed up for a group, you still can back at Brave Central, by the way, or online, I think as well. Uh, but we talked about the importance of keep growing and, and to keep growing in your faith. And if you want to keep growing in your faith, being around people of faith matters, so simply, where we get rooted matters, and keeping faith is connected to fellowshipping with others of faith. And I think that's important, staying connected to the local body. We grow better together. And then in part three, last week, we talked about fruits. fruit trees bear fruit. Like this is the whole point of a fruit tree is to bear fruit, and the result ultimately of abiding is producing. And so when you abide in Christ, you should produce fruit, and that is not just a character trait like Christ-likeness. That is to say that we want to produce fruit like Christ and live like Christ, yes, but also bring people to Christ. And the reason we want to bring people to Christ and abide in Christ is because when the church abide, the church grows. That's the body of Christ that it grows and the kingdom grows, which is what believers are all about. And today I want to talk to you about remaining rooted. And I came in with one uh, certainly word for us today as a church, and the title of it is just Remaining Rooted, because I want you to remain rooted. Get planted, get rooted, and stay rooted. And so how do you remain rooted? And I'm going to talk to you about that. And to begin, I came across something uh, that I didn't know uh, in the, before I started preparing for this series. We'll put a picture. I don't know if you have a picture of rocky soil. It was in the email. I don't know if you got it or not, but if you don't, that's okay. Just imagine there's a whole bunch of rocky soil. There it is. Okay. So what you're looking at, uh, anybody ever heard of the region in France called Bordeaux? We've had Bordeaux wine. And, um, and so I uh, was reading into this and kind of found this out and through my study time and preparation. But I, I didn't know this, that one of the things that they look for in soil in these regions is to have actually rocky soil. Actually having pebbles in the soil is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. And the reason that is, is making the vines struggle a little bit to uh, find nutrients and water actually produces better grapes. If you give a grapevine a favorable environment, actually the grapevine will take the easy way out and they will begin to produce leaves and leaves and grow and flourish, but they won't focus on uh, reproducing itself uh, in grapes and it, will, it won't have focus of making better quality grapes. So one of the things they do intentionally is to put it in soil that has rocks in it and different things that it has to fight for or uh, experience a form of stress, if you would. And so if the roots are kind of stressed and the vine is stressed, it'll find nutrients and fear that it's losing life. And so in other words, it's scared that it could die and so it's fighting to 
find life, and in that fear, it goes into self-preservation, if you would, and it begins to reproduce itself sexually, which for a grapevine is producing grapes, so it makes more grapes in fear that it might die. It's actually pretty incredible that this is something uh, that happens and occurs, and God is so good because he creates something like this, and I think the point for us today, I want to kind of teach from that thought that this reality is a lot of times the same is true for us as people, that God will oftentimes put rocks in our path, stressful situations, but ultimately that's to produce better wine. And so the point is the best grapes comes from wines that face great challenges and are put in uncomfortable environments. I wrote this in, allowing the vines to suffer actually produce better grapes. And I want to speak from that place that God will put you in uncomfortable scenarios and situations in your life ultimately to produce better quality grapes, better fruit in your life. The brother of Jesus, James, said this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you have your sermon notes, just write this in. Difficulty is paramount to producing fruit. Difficulty is paramount to producing fruit. All right, so if you want to produce fruit in your life, that's spiritual fruit, Christ-likeness, peace, patience, love, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of those. If you want to bring people to Christ, there will be situations and moments of difficulty in your life. Every good gardener knows that pruning is a requirement for producing fruit. In fact, it would be irresponsible for a gardener not to prune right? It would, it's actually called overcropping. It's actually suffocating by overcrowding the plant. If you don't prune, you're not actually a good gardener. It's actually the good thing to do. If you don't prune it, you'll have a lot of unnecessary buds that don't produce fruit and take away simply from the nutrients of the ones that do. And so God oftentimes will go through a pruning in us as well and allow us to face struggle or strife or strife, or stressful situations in order to produce fruit in our lives. And this is the backdrop that I want to teach from, and here's the question I want to just kind of have you think about. How do you remain rooted when you're in uncomfortable situations? How do you remain rooted when there's an uncomfortable season, something going on? It could be a health thing, could be a marriage thing, could be financial, I mean, so many things it could be. But how do you remain rooted? Because in the season of following Christ, there's gonna be difficulty and struggles and strifes. How do you remain rooted and grounded in faith when you're losing faith? Uncomfortable situations. Somebody close to you says, hey, I'm walking out on the faith of God. I don't wanna be near the faith of God. How do you remain rooted in that when it's your spouse that says that or your child that says that? Or maybe you come across a magazine, you come across an article, you come across something you saw on TV, something happens to you, a blow is taken to your home, a blow is taken to your health, to your family, whatever it may be. How do you remain rooted in situations where it's tempting to just wanna uproot your faith and say, I wanna leave this thing entirely? How do you remain rooted? That's the place I wanna speak from today. And the good news is, I think Paul gives us an answer. And I think scripture points to this answer. We're gonna go to two uh, books of the Bible to help see this answer that helps drive to this point. How do you remain rooted in uncomfortable scenarios or stressful situations in life as you're living out your life as a Christian? So if you have a Bible, Colossians 2 is where we're gonna be for just a moment, and then we'll jump over to Ephesians chapter three. And so in writing to the church, Paul addresses this church in uh, Colossae in Colossians 2, and he's writing to people who are thinking about walking away from the faith. In fact, they're losing their faith. 
And they're being misled by false teaching. They have been told throughout their life that this is the way it is. And, uh, and then they begin to live one way for Christ. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and begins to mislead them and misteach them about what following Jesus is really all about, if you would. And so this is where Paul steps in. In Colossians 2, verse 6, here's what Paul says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. The word accepted is a really important word. It means to join yourself to or to receive something that's been transmitted. So something has been transmitted to you. So accepting. We use that uh, vernacular oftentimes in church. Hey, did you accept Christ as your savior? And I think it can lose its meaning with this word accept. It means to adhere yourself to, to join yourself to, or something has been transmitted to you. Did you receive the transmission of what God gave you? And so this is what he's pushing on. Do you accept Christ as your Lord? He's the Lord of your life. Let your roots go, grow down into him. What is Paul doing? Paul's simply saying, we'll see a moment just in a second. He's going to remind them of the significance of their baptism. So look what he goes to next. And I think he's setting this up with this accepting of Christ. Now you've got to take this, take the word accepted and the transmission of something that happened. And then he kind of brings to life what he's talking about in the next verse. So he goes on to talk about baptism. Look what he says in verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So there's one thoughts coming to you from not from Christ and from somewhere else. And then he simply is talking about them being rooted now to Christ. In other words, he's saying don't transplant into other false teachings. Stay rooted in what you learned about Christ, the fact that something's been transmitted to you in Christ and through Christ. And here's what he says in verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. You just pause there and just read that and you say, okay, in Jesus, this man who's walking on the earth is the fullness of God. That's how we know and we could say Jesus is God. He's not just a man by himself. He is God. He's the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Going back to that transmission that happens, he's saying now you are in union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised not by, a, but not by a physical procedure. So he's talking to some Gentiles. You weren't a Jew, so you weren't necessarily uh, circumcised. And then he says, Christ performed, this is important, a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Verse 12, for you were buried with Christ and when you were baptized. So there's something that happened. Something was transmitted. You were buried with Christ, and therefore you're baptized. And with him, you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. There's so much union going on here with Christ. For he forgave all of our sins. Last two verses. 14 and 15, he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let me just give a quick side teaching on baptisms. We're gonna uh, participate and see baptisms today following service and uh, just a quick understanding on this as he's talking about baptism and the transmission that happens. 
Jewish circumcision, of course, uh, Jewish circumcision was a, a thing that they would do, obviously. We're cutting off the male foreskin. It was a physical separation. It was a way of identifying themselves uh, as people of God. Christ comes in and says, no more of that. Praise God. Amen. The circumcision of Christ is cutting away of our sinful nature. And there's a spiritual separation that happens. So water baptism is a, uh, a, a, simply a picture of this spiritual experience. So write this down in your notes. Baptism is an important step of obedience after salvation, not a requirement for salvation. And I just want to unpack that for just a minute. All right, so baptism is simply uh, a step of obedience after salvation. It is not a requirement for salvation. So there's a, and I could talk about this whole thing on baptism, but this is not a baptism uh, sermon per se, uh, but there's lots of uh, debate about this in different religions or, or belief systems. And for us, uh, there's a verse in Acts that there's this word for, and, and they start to say, you know, that baptism is a requirement for salvation. That that's, doesn't stand up to scripture. And, and I'll give you one verse, and this is the only verse I think I need to, to kind of use in this setting, Ephesians 2.8, to help you understand this. Okay, For it is by grace you have been saved. It does not say baptism through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the key, verse 9. Not by works so that no one can boast. Say, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me as it relates to baptism? Baptism is a work. It's something that you have to do. You don't have to get baptized to be saved. However, you should want to get baptized if you are saved. Because baptism is a spiritual experience. It's a picture of what God has done in your heart. And he's simply reminding these people, when you were baptized, which is a hint to Christians going forward, you should get baptized. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts, where a man is reading the gospel, and the first thing he wants to do as he hears the gospel is go jump in water and get baptized, because he wants to experience that picture coming to life. Not a requirement for salvation, but certainly I want to go public with my faith. This is amazing, as he came to understand the trueness of what's happening in baptism. But Paul points out that when you're baptized and you go under the water, it's as if you are being buried with Christ. It's that real picture. And then you come up and you're a new person in Christ, that the old soul is gone, a new soul has arrived, and it is clean and pure and blameless. And that soul one day will get a new body glorified in heaven, perfect and blameless, all sins washed away. Why would you not want to experience that ceremony? And so he's reminding them of this transmission that happened, that when you were, uh, that you were nailed to the cross with Christ, when Jesus went to the cross, you went to the cross. When he went to the grave, you went to the grave. But when he rose again, you rose again. That means you have eternal life, which really means, you, you just wrap your head around this, which he's trying to remind them of, you never die. For those who are Christ's fault, you never die. You have eternal life in Christ forever. That's the hope we anchor to, that one day we do not die. No, we experience an earthly death, but our souls move on and receive amazing glorified bodies with abs in place, the height you want, the hair color you want, every curve you can imagine. It's perfect. Now you're like, well, I want to go to heaven. I want to experience that, you know? But this is what he's trying to help them understand, that this is, this is grace that saved us. And he's just encouraged them to remind them of the transmission that has occurred when they were buried with Christ and they were raised to a new life. 
This is so important. The power, I want you to know this, the power is not in the water. There is no power in water. The power is in the Son of God on the cross going to the grave and resurrection. The power is in his spirit, which Paul later on says, that spirit lives in you. The power is in God. It is not in the water. I want you to know that. There's no power. It's just water. It's just water. The power of salvation is in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And Paul's encouraging these Christians to remain rooted in spite of all the things that they're hearing where people are trying to tell them that they got to do this and they got to do that in order to receive salvation. He's like, stop that nonsense. Stop listening to all that. That is not true. The power of your salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. And he's trying to take them back to understand that you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do this. It is Christ paid the, the, for all the sins of the world. This is the best news in the world. And he wants them to understand that. So he's encouraging them that in spite of their circumstances, in spite of what the world is telling around them, remain rooted in Christ because he loves you. And he continues that thought into a church of Ephesus. He kind of shares the same in a sense, a thought of what he wants them to remain rooted to in Ephesians chapter three. So he's talking to another church, but he carries the same encouragement to them. And he makes a prayer for this church. And he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father, verse 14, verse 15, chapter three says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's praying to God, we get to hear his prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge just, I, I mean, I, I need a marker to highlight this in every one of your Bibles, if you have one, or just, just see that. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, come on church, say the word filled. I feel like I need participation today. Can you say filled? Thank you. All right, he says, there's a love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, how he prays for this church that, that the love of God would surpass pass the knowledge of his love. And then he says that you'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you'd be filled, can I say it this way? That you would you'd be so filled with how much he loves you that it would become, the, it would just pour out of you. You'd, you'd go beyond the knowledge of his love. But I would say to you, can you just say it this way? Experience his love. That you'd be filled with his love versus just, and I think there's a lot of people, certainly, we, we walk around the world today, we see the signs and billboards and things, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. You have knowledge of his love, but you don't experience that love. And Paul is pleading on his knees before God saying, oh, I pray that you would understand this way greater than just having the knowledge that you would experience this love. The word established is a key word that we want to unpack. Verse 17, the word established means foundation. He says rooted and established in love. That the roots would simply be the foundation. The foundation of this whole thing would be love. 
Paul says, the foundation of your root system, the soil, if you would. Yeah, my plants are doing fine, by the way. The plants, they're, they're doing great. They're, they're not dead. So if you're wondering, I didn't kill them. They're doing good. But I just didn't bring them today. But the soil, if you would, as you put the plant in, the soil, he says, the foundation of this is the love of Christ. And that is going to be so instrumental as it comes to remaining rooted because the soil is it's like you've got to remain rooted, understanding that he loves you. Write this in your notes, if you would. We remain rooted to Christ by remembering we are loved by Christ. And I'm telling you, I, this is where I know I kind of got here quicker today because I want to camp on this for just a minute. This one is, uh, this is so important for us to understand um, in our Christian faith as it pertains to just remaining in faith. I wrote this in my notes. I want to say it to you this way. There is power in this simply statement. Watch, but I know you love me. Would you write that somewhere to the side in your notes? Just write these words, but I know you love me. When we're rooted deeply in that truth, nothing will be able to rip you up from the ground. Let me help you understand what I mean by that, but I know you love me. Okay. There is no question that on our faith journey as Christians, as Christ followers, when God calls us to do something or whatever that may be, that there will be temptations and struggles and all kinds of things to start to follow instead of his voice, instead of what he's calling us to do. I know that's true. And there will be times where it's going to feel like, man, I, I, I just want to give up on this or, or I'm losing track of this or the calendar starts to take over your life and, and all of a sudden it becomes tension to remain rooted to the local body, remain rooted to Christ, remain rooted to the things that you know that God began to do a work on you and he wants to finish that work. How do you stay in the game, so to speak? How do you stay involved? I would say it's this, just to remember that he loves you. Now, I could say it that way, and my concern is that's just knowledge. That goes to knowledge. The trick is, or the tension is maybe, how do you take that knowledge and allow it to really fill you? And I have found a little thing that I do, but I know you love me. But then you gotta take it a little more practical into your uh, scenario. So let me give a couple explanations of what it could look like. So many of you know that, of course, recently, uh, my family just has health things going on, right? Mother-in-law's, you know, uh, dealing with things and my father's and uh, heart surgery. And so just some personal health things going on in the family. So obviously my family's been around conversations of health and things like that. And of course, death has been on my mind, just uh, transparency for me, for my dad, open heart surgery, mother-in-law having heart, you know, surgeries and stuff. And just, you're thinking that way uh, where it can come up. And I just had this thought oftentimes of, but I know you love I know you love him. I know that you are in control. And then I had to surrender it this way. But I know even if you say yes, it's time for them to go. I know where they're headed because I know you love me. And I know you would never do anything to hurt me. Now watch how practical it gets. I know you would never do anything to hurt me. You always look out for me. You always turn whatever was deemed for evil and turn it for good. You begin to take that love and apply it to your scenario, whatever fits you. So I know you love me. You go into a job situation and the job's not working out the way you hoped it would, let's say. Finances are coming in or you didn't get the deal that you're hoping to get or whatever it may be. 
but I know you love me. I'm looking at an account. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know you promised to provide for me. You will. You said you would. I know you would. Paul is saying when you understand not just knowledge, not just the knowledge, but you begin to experience and how he's provided for you, now he takes care of you, and you begin to say that and understand that. He's saying this is so important as it pertains to remaining rooted to Christ. God, I know I may not see the fruit of my labor today, but I know one day you will show it to me. I know one day, God, it'll occur. I may not see the salvation of that family member today, but I know one day, God, you are faithful and you will finish what you start, and I know that you answer prayers, and I know that you care about all the salvation of people, and I know when I'm praying here, it'll occur. You love me and you love him or you love her and you will see through that happen. I trust you, Jesus, because I know that you died for them too. And you just begin to declare that. He's saying this is so paramount to understanding when difficulty comes in your life that remaining rooted begins and starts with understanding that Christ loves you. It's, it's so foundationally true. And yet because we hear it so much, Jesus loves you, it becomes just knowledge, but it just kind of doesn't penetrate the soul to what Paul is saying. I want this to penetrate your soul. I want you to understand this truth beyond knowledge. Experience his love. Why? So it helps you remain rooted when all the trials come your way in life. Every day when other teachings are telling you this and that, don't buy into that stuff. Trust that Christ is who he said he is and that he loves you. Two things that he mentions in this verse that help us remain rooted. One, his spirit, and two, his body. Look what he says in verse 18. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit. His spirit is so important, which, by the way, we receive upon baptism the fullness of his spirit. The spirit lives in us, and that spirit reveals something to us and nudges us and whispers to us and directs us and guides us. This spirit is so necessity, such a necessity as it relates to remaining rooted to God. We need his spirit. So let me just say this. We're not afraid of his spirit. We need his spirit. We need to be filled with his spirit. That is to say, not like some like drinking something that fills us. No, it's just saying when I'm filled with his spirit, I'm living with the awareness of his spirit. I'm constantly aware of the spirit and the abilities that he makes available to me throughout my day. And so whether or not I face this or I face that, I know it's all for a short time because I take a picture of his, the way he sees the circumstance, the way he, he talks about it, the way he thinks, and he just helps me align to what he sees and what he wants to do, and that helps me remain rooted and grounded. Uh, just think about getting emotional. Anybody ever get emotional at all? You ever get emotional? Any emotional people? And um, you get emotions, and emotions are tricky things because you know, emotions are part of who we are. God created us, and he has emotions. We have emotions. But sometimes our emotions can get the best of us. Am I right? We get emotional, and we respond, or, or the word, we react, right? We don't respond. We kind of react emotionally, and it gets us in trouble. How do you remain rooted in that situation? How do you remain rooted in those scenarios when you're like, how is this going to pan out? Will they ever? Will that happen? Okay, how do you do that? Bring it down. The Lord, Lord loves us. He didn't bring us here for nothing. He'll see to it that we get the right answers. And even if he takes us home, we're just going home. Like, it's just getting the right 
perspective on the matter and staying rooted to Christ. And so Paul says that's what his spirit does. His spirit will whisper to you and nudge you and guide you and sometimes be loud in front of you through other people, guiding you and shaping you along the journey. And number two, his body, it says in verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So this is like everybody experiencing this together. How wide, how, how deep is the love of Christ that we would experience this together. And here's, I think, absolutely so true that people need to be reminded that he loves you. Oftentimes we need people just simply just remind us. But listen, if I just say, can I just remind you he loves you today? Well, if I'm talking about a real scenario, can I just remind you if it's a financial thing? You know, that's an easy one just because we all relate to that. If for someone to struggle financially, can I just remind you that God said when you seek him first, that he'll provide everything you need. So all you got to do is put him first in your finances and don't have to worry about it. Do you hear the difference between me saying, hey, the Lord loves you, and then saying, hey, the Lord loves you. He's faithful to do what he said he's going to do. If you seek him first, he'll meet all your needs. So just go put him first and he'll meet all your needs. Do you see the difference? Paul is simply going, do you remember what was transmitted to you whenever you received Christ? He didn't just say Jesus loves you and then move on. He says, do you remember the transmission that occurred when you were buried with him, when you were nailed to the cross with him, when you were resurrected with him? He's trying to remind, do you remember what occurred there? Do you remember the power of God that lives inside of you? Do you remember the grace that you received? He's trying to really drive home the point of, do you know the depths of his love? So if somebody's struggling with an illness or physical or marriage issues or whatever it might be, disciplining children, a a child that's gone off a beaten path in kind of a different, different direction or whatever it may be, you say, man, you have people around you in your life reminding you of what God did for you, reminding you of who he is. We need people around us to remind us of God's love for us. And on the flip side, at some point when someone else's faith is getting uprooted, you're going to need to remind them of who God is and how much God loves them. And so these two things are going back and forth. And he's saying, this is why I think the Lord's people come together and do this, to remind each other of God's love for them. So here's what I want you to know. Regardless of the challenges that you face this fall or this season, okay, and as we think about of a fall season, if you would, that God will oftentimes allow challenges to come our way he'll allow times of struggle but we can know that he loves us write this in last one I want you to write this in if you would anything that God breaks down is intended to build you up you just pause on that for just a minute anything that God breaks down is intended to build you up think about the gardener who's pruning anything he cuts off is to give breathing space to what he's adding on You say, I'm facing a a difficult situation. I'm going to face difficulty. If you're not now, you will at some point. How do I make this call? Can I just encourage you to remember who he is? And this is the same chapter that Paul writes, Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to measure more than we can think or imagine. The power of work of Christ is in us. He's able to do a measure more than we can think or imagine because his spirit can take care of all things. He just leaves it with encouragement. Then he says, amen. So I want to encourage you today to remember that whenever you face difficulties and and trials that could come your way, just remember that God will only allow things to come your way in order to build you up. Struggles and strives to build you up, to help 
help you. In fact, I thought about compost. There was a couple of years ago, my wife, you know, was trying to be all agricultural. I'm like, girl, we're in an agricultural society. We live in the suburbs. But she was trying to make a compost, you know, where you take banana peels and like, we're going to be, you know, really good at recycling. She's the queen of recycling. And anyway, so we're trying to do this compost. This is a long time ago. I nixed that one. We were like, no more compost. Trash. And, uh, but I thought about this as I was preparing this. And I, and I, I just thought, man, I think some of you, uh, maybe, I, like Paul, I pray this, maybe encourage one of you. If, I, if this happens, then I did it. I did what God wanted me to do. I thought about compost. And I thought, isn't it incredible that God created a society, a world, and how plants function and produce fruit, that God could take rotten fruit and turn it into bearing good fruit? He takes rotten fruit and turns it back into soil that fertilizes a future harvest. I want you to know today that God can take whatever bad fruit you've produced in your life, he can turn it into good soil and produce a future harvest in your life. It's incredible when you think about that. And I, and I sit very well, absolutely, 100% me. Rotten fruit even finds its place in the process of bearing fruit. God is the redeemer. You say, how does that look and what do I mean by that? And I'll invite the team up as we start to close out. You say, what do I, what do I mean by rotten fruit and bad fruit and you know, producing a harvest? You think about all these wonderful nonprofit organizations that get their start. And it could be, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to make any statements, but anything, you know, uh, feeding uh, places, uh, you know, uh, different uh, cancer nonprofits, uh, fundraising things. So many of these um, people or organizations that are out there in our world were started out of tragedy, were started out of a stressful scenario. Someone experienced a loss, and so they started a foundation. Someone experienced the loss of a teenager who was hit by a drunk driver and they started a foundation. Someone lost a child, so they started a foundation. And if you ask those people, you know, was it worth it? You probably get mixed answers. But if you ask them, is what you, does what you do matter? The answer would be absolutely. And they made it matter. You think about how, how the Lord does the very same thing. That even for seasons of our life where we bore bad fruit, really did some things that were completely against his will, even he can take those same stories, those same experiences, and those tragedies in life and turn it and use it for our good. He'll allow, Chris is another example, we, uh, she miscarried our second child, you know, before our, um, I forget how many I have, four, so it was in between one and two, and, uh, but we oftentimes, you know, will just mention, but not that I'm glad we went through that, but 
we see how God uses it. And so anytime we talk now, now we're, you know, 15, 16 years into marriage and four kids, we come across people. I can't tell you how many people we've come across who've miscarried. And we're like, hey, us too. And in the very moment, you see like a little bit of hope or something, or there's just like we're in this together kind of a thing. I mean, that's a small example, but it's an example, if that makes sense. But he'll do the same thing through all of you that even the difficult scenarios, and not that, of course, miscarriage is like a, our choice, but it's just uh, even times that we did choose those moments, he'll use that and he'll turn it for his glory. I'll see him do it time and time and time again. And so I want to remind you of this, this is what I came to tell you today. Just, just remember this and just simply remain in this. Remain that he loves you. Just remain and know he really does love you. And I know it's a, a statement that gets to church, and I thought, man, every time I get up here and I try to preach, and I go, man, Lord, you just want to tell me you love him? Isn't there more? He's like, nope. Just tell that person today that he really loves you. And beyond just the word love, let me say it this way. Maybe this will speak to your heart. does want the best for you. Do you believe that? He wants the best for you. He for real has the perfect plan for your life. Paul says experience his love. I think this is what he's saying. Step into that faith.
That's what the church is here for. Don't let this moment pass by if you need prayer. Don't let pride get in the way of like, you know, I'll, I'll email them later. Rather than emailing us, we'd rather just do it now. Amen. It's a pet peeve of mine. Let me pray for you. No, no, no. We'll pray for you now. Right? All right, so we're going to sing a little bit of this song and then invite you to come forward. Need prayer today for anything at all. We're here for you. I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us.
Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray that you would uh, bless this time. And by that, Lord, I ask you that whatever seed was planted would produce harvest. You would watch over the seed and help those who hear the sound of my voice to know the depth of your love. And may they experience that love beyond knowledge. In the name of Christ, amen.